This is the Idea Time Show with Dr. Joe North, helping facilitators expand their creativity, confidence, and impact through the power of innovation in action. Gain confidence as a facilitator, confidence with the technology, and confidence with your content and event design. Tune in every week for practical tips, strategies, and interviews that will accelerate your personal and business success. And now, here's your host, Dr. Joe North. Hello there, welcome to the Idea Time Show. I'm super pleased to be here with you today, and I'm joined by a very special guest, Claire Baum from Thinking Museum. Claire, it's really good to have you with us. Hi. Oh, thanks for inviting me, Joe. Great to be here. So could you kick us off by letting us know what it is that you do and all about your business? Yeah, sure. Well, I'm a training and engagement specialist and I run my own company called Thinking Museum. As you can probably tell, I'm from the UK originally, but I've been living here in the Netherlands for 13 years now. I design and lead training courses, and these are training courses for educators, museum and heritage guides, and also freelancers working with culture and heritage. And I also run a membership program for educators and creatives called the Visible Thinking Membership. So yeah, you can usually find me running sort of virtual trainings for clients or leading online sessions in my membership. That's kind of my day-to-day sort of uh, what my work week looks like. Well, so it sounds like you've got lots of different and connected interests and so on. And how have you been with all the COVID stuff that's been going on? How's that been going for you? Well, it's been quite an interesting time, as it, you know, as it has for, for everyone. And I, I have taken everything fully online. I used to do an awful lot of in-person trainings. Luckily, I had been developing and doing virtual sessions anyway, but it has spurred me on to sort of launch my first online course as well. So I'm really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying being online and sort of thinking about all the different possibilities and trying to change that view that in-person is better than virtual because I believe if you do it well they can both be equally um, good for learning opportunities. Definitely I think they're both different experiences but they can both be equally great in different ways can't they and I think sometimes when people say oh it's not the same as being in a room I think it's their their comfort preference rather than an actual thing because if we if we try hard and really think about it and get creative doing stuff online has so many benefits over doing things in person I mean I for one don't miss lugging a suitcase around in the rain trying to find a venue you know and set up with all my stuff having parked what feels like a million miles away I love the fact that people from all over the world can join in sessions and co-create and so on. It's really, really cool. I've been enjoying it. Tell us the sort of thing that you do then. If you, you know, if you're doing one of your virtual sessions, what might that entail? What does it involve? In my membership, which launched in September, we have a sort of variety of different courses and classes for the members there's a core course which is teaching them my method which is visible thinking in the museum online and there's also sort of monthly masterclasses on things like facilitation skills questioning skills how to be good on zoom all those sorts of things and 
also practice and coaching sessions because I wanted to provide a, an online space for members to practice their facilitation skills and practice inquiry and leading discussions online as well. So that's the membership. And then also I run trainings for clients. So at the moment, I'm working with a, a national museum in Sweden, and I've designed a series of trainings for two different sort of target groups. And one of those groups is working with school groups and the other is working with adults. And we're doing a series of online two hour sessions which help their museum educators and guides to lead these sessions to be more engaging and interactive. I'd love to hear some of the tips that you've got about how to make those sessions interactive and engaging and we'll come on to that. But how did you get into doing what you're doing, especially in the museum sector? Yeah, so I've got an interesting background. So probably about 20 plus years, dating myself here, of experience. Um, I started in educational travel. I've also worked in museum education. And I've also worked on the floor as a museum guide and heritage guide and a city guide. So I've got this kind of interesting range of experiences that influence how I see and how I teach. And I've always been fascinated by how you can design and lead engaging experiences for people in different situations. I believe museums are really exciting places. They're not boring. I believe art is the same as well, and so are objects. And I want to sort of teach people how to engage people with those art and objects as best they can. So where did that passion come from then? I mean, you've talked about your your work experience, but where do you think that first started, that real love of everything? to do with art, museums, learning, and so on? I think, well, I think I've always been interested in in learning. I always like learning new things. But one thing I have noticed over the years is that I've seen how difficult some guides, some educators as well, find it to switch from a more kind of traditional style of delivery to a more interactive inquiry-led sort of way of working. So I wanted, one of my aims was to make it simpler for educators to learn how to lead these engaging programs. And I used to actually see right back in the beginning, probably about 15 years ago, guides and educators would be told, oh, you need to make your tours, your programs more interactive. You need to ask more questions. And, but they were never taught how to ask those questions. So I would see guides walking around with lists of good questions that they could ask and it made me just think, well, something's gone terribly wrong here. You know, it doesn't have to be this complicated. So that led me to kind of develop this method that aims to make it simpler so that educators can have a simple kind of method behind them to help them lead these more question-based, discussion-based programmes around art. Yeah, so we're going to get into visible thinking because I want to really dive deep into that. What is it you think that makes a session engaging? What, what are the secret ingredients to engagement? Well, I think that's the, the million-dollar question, and I think it does change every time. I don't think any two group experiences are the same, nor, nor should they be the same. So I think it's it's a combination of actually being genuinely curious about who you're with, if you're working with a group, finding out information about them, but also making them curious enough to ask questions, 
making them feel comfortable enough so that they feel as though they can ask you any questions, they can get involved in the discussion. And also having this kind of very simple structure. So you're taking them from nothing. So starting off a program with you to then finishing up almost as like their friends, you know, they've been together for an hour in the same group. They may have may not have known each other at the beginning, but they leave at the end having discussed an artwork and had some fun on the way as well. Yeah. And where does, I guess, personal passion and interest as a as an educator or a facilitator come into it? Because sometimes when I'm visiting somewhere or going to a museum or maybe, you know, touring a historic building or gardens or something like that, it can quite often be the passion of and the interest, you know, of the person who's actually sharing some information that I find really engaging. I can start off being sort of medium level interested and end up being, you know, super intrigued by it simply because somebody's enthusiasm is infectious. Does that come into it at all as well? Yeah, absolutely. And I think most of the people I work with, that enthusiasm and that passion is is never an issue, but it's how you share that information as well that is sometimes can cause a problem. We know a lot of people who work in my field have a huge amount of knowledge and it's how you use that information, how you share it in a more strategic way so that you're not lecturing people, you're not giving them a huge information dump. Um, you're sharing your information in small bite-sized amounts so that you're you're leaving them like you said you were more curious more curious to to learn more to find out more and to perhaps come back again as well so yeah information is also something that you need to think about can be a burden sometimes because you can know all this stuff but it's knowing how you share it and keep people engaged and interested in what you're sharing as well. Yeah, and getting them thinking for themselves rather than just listening to you do your chalk and talk and relaying facts. And I think that's what's really intriguing about what you do is that it's not just about sharing facts and dates and what paint was used. You know, it goes much deeper into that. So tell us about who you work with you know what sort of clients you've mentioned a couple already and what sort of projects you absolutely love to get involved with I work with a huge variety of different organizations I started leading a lot of trainings in the Netherlands where I'm I'm living and that sort of took off and then I started getting invited to do trainings in museums in other countries around Europe and then that kind of led to sort of outside of Europe as well so my trainings have really taken me all over the world. And, you know, I even went out to Borneo in 2017 and did a, a whole week there uh, doing a museum education training, which was fantastic. And also really fascinating as well, because the way you lead a training in Europe may not be the same way you lead a training in Borneo or, you know, in other parts of the world as well. So that was really interesting as a trainer to sort of reflect on how you teach and how you might have to change your style or your own facilitation style, depending on who you're working with as well. I work a lot with museums. Quite often I get called in to help transition a team of guides from a more traditional approach, you know, the kind of walk and talk to a more conversational one. And I work with sort of all types of museums, science museums, art museums, you know, historical museums, also with historic houses and even, you know, quite diverse companies like the National Opera and Ballet as well. So, yeah, quite a wide range of clients. But I think the core thing that links them all is this desire to create more engagement with their audiences. 
Yeah. And how did you end up in Amsterdam? Yeah, it was about 13 years ago. So my husband got a job here and we decided we would sort of take the plunge and and move out here. And we we haven't returned. So we've stayed here. We've got three children, teenage kids who are in school here and and we love it. It's a a really lovely place to bring up your children and and to live. Yeah, beautiful city. Absolutely beautiful. Now then, let's get to the nitty gritty with visible thinking. So could you start off by defining what it is letting us know why it's important. Yeah, so visible thinking came to me by chance. I was leading a a focus group in a museum in Amsterdam with a group of teachers from an international school. And one of the teachers mentioned it just by chance. She said, oh, I think you should look into visible thinking. I think it could have lots of applications within museums. I had no idea what this term was, but I was curious. So I, I went to look it up. And it turned out to be one of those moments, you know, those light bulb moments. And I had been looking for some kind of method that could sort of enrich learning and help understand content better. And visible thinking, so it has been developed since 2000. So it's been going for about 20 years and it's been developed by researchers and teachers in real schools. And it comes from Harvard's Project Zero. And essentially it's a flexible framework. So it fosters deep thinking and a better understanding of content and the central idea is making thinking visible the main thing being that you know the majority of what we think is hidden it stays in our heads we don't say the majority of what we think about it stays you know hidden under the bonnet and we only sort of articulate a small portion of it so the approach of visible thinking includes a number of ways of making thinking visible and opportunities for thinking and one of these practices which I've really taken to heart is thinking routines and thinking routines are fascinating they're these short easy to learn easy to teach steps that get used in a regular fashion so there's around 90 different thinking routines I've compiled a list of them because I knew there were so many so you could choose one of them to focus on a certain type of thinking. So the, the probably the most famous one is called See, Think, Wonder. Um, and it takes you through the steps of sort of observing and interpreting something, could be an artwork, could be an object. And it's a really interesting routine to use because it just provides this nice loose structure around which you can discuss and question and be curious about an object. So once you get used to using these routines, they're very easy to pick up. With frequent use, you find that you can remember them, you can pick them up and use them wherever. And the language of the questions of the routines becomes your language as well. So it actually teaches you to ask better questions because you start phrasing your questions in the same way that they are in the thinking routines as well. And I find that when I'm doing innovation work with businesses, with organisations, and also when I'm training innovation, one of the key themes that I aim to get across is actually the quality of the questions we ask ourselves drives the quality of the thinking and therefore the quality of the innovation and the outputs that we create. So I can actually see how your visible thinking approach could work really well in a number of settings, you know, the, in terms of, is it see, think and wonder? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question to ask a group of delegates who may be on a, an innovation sprint. Um, you know, Absolutely. what do you see about the current situation? What do you think about it? What do you wonder? 
backed work beautifully in all sorts of contexts. So I, I'm, I think it's really intriguing and really fascinating. Funny you should say that, actually, because a few years ago, I used to also do corporate workshops. So I used to take groups from companies to museums and we would use these thinking routines to discuss a series of artworks. And and quite often the people who arrived at the museum would be quite sceptical. We don't do art. You know, we don't like museums at the beginning. And my job, my role was to change that opinion but also to kind of bring the team together and to get them talking and thinking about art and see think wonder was always really really well received in these sessions and I remember one group of IT managers they absolutely loved the routine so much and they spent an hour and a half with me in a modern art museum by the end of it you know they were talking about modern art I got a text the next day to say that in their morning meeting they'd actually use see think wonder to start the meeting and, and structure the meeting. And they loved it so much that it actually carried over into their work life as well, which I thought was brilliant. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I can see all sorts of, of uses for it in terms of brand, you know, looking at competitors, thinking about customer experience, how customers use products or service. The question applies to so many so many potential things. I think it's truly wonderful. And what are some of the other thinking routines then give us a couple more because this is great the beauty of them is that you can choose the one that's most appropriate for your group and your goals and you can combine them as well so you know see think wonder is a more observation based routine we use routines like color shape line which also encourage people to look carefully but to look for certain categories so look for colors look for shapes look for line and then we have more sort of narrative focus, more creative thinking routines, such as beginning, middle, end, which asks you to look at an object or or an artwork and answer questions such as, if this is the beginning of the story, what might happen next? If this was the middle of the story, what happened to lead up to this point? And if this was the end of the story, the, the last frame of the film, perhaps, what led up to this point? So they're really great routines for sort of thinking about using your imagination, being a bit creative, and also just thinking outside the box a little bit as well. Another routine, just just to add one more, is called Step Inside. And I love this routine because it asks you to look at things from different perspectives. So if you're looking at a portrait, for example, we ask uh, after a period of sort of observing the artwork for a bit, we then ask people in small groups to step inside the person in the portrait and think about how they're feeling, think about how they see the world, you know, think about what they're wondering about and what they believe in. And it's a really powerful routine for looking at things from different perspectives. Yeah, great exercise in empathy. And as, as you were going, you know, describing those thinking routines, I was thinking how awesome they are to use with children as well, for parents to use with children to encourage them to think for themselves to develop creativity and you know goodness knows maybe it's a debate for another day about creativity in schools and how it's sort of trained out of us rather than trained into us Um, so I think they're absolutely wonderful and what would you say about because I see a lot of you know if you look at Smithsonian and and other museums there's, there's a lot of augmented reality and VR and tech you know different ways of of using technology to try and make exhibitions and uh, displays and artworks more 
um, engaging in inverted commas. What's your view on that? There's definitely more than one way to visit a museum. And I'm not saying that kind of the things I teach are the right way. I think that there's some moments in your life when you want to go into a museum and, you know, have that full interactive digital experience. Or there's other times perhaps you might go into a museum and just want to slow down and look at a couple of artworks. So there are very different ways to, to look and engage with the objects that we have in museums and there is no right or wrong way but I do find that when people sort of slow down and spend some time with artworks and with a, a person to help them guide them through it they do tend to have those kind of transformative moments where they'll they'll really remember the experience in a month's time or as you mentioned children when I did the pilot of the first program I created using thinking routines about nine years ago we actually found out that the school children who'd been on the pilot had then been teaching their parents how to use the routine so they'd remembered them so well and loved them so much they'd actually taken their parents to the museum and said look we're going to do see think wonder now so you know those kind of experiences I think are really wonderful to have those kind of memorable transformative moments brilliant you're in you know obviously the museum and and art gallery and, and wider sector which is having a pretty tough time at the moment or you know through recent months not being able to admit visitors at times and not being able to admit as many and all the the things around social distancing and the low touch economy so how have you found that this sector has adapted and how have you adapted to support the sector that you're in if that makes sense here museums have had to close again um, in the last week they've had to close so this is the second time that they've been forced to close this year and it's a slight shame because I think museums actually have some of the most uh, stringent sort of COVID protection measures in place and people were really enjoying going to museums for that kind of sanctuary they weren't very busy the tourists weren't there so they were enjoying them for different reasons than they normally do but I think museums are incredibly adaptable and I've seen some amazing initiatives come out of this time when they've been forced to shut their physical doors they've kind of opened up their virtual doors and some brilliant virtual programs that have come out the National Gallery of Art have released their slow looking sessions which have been wonderful and other museums I've been sort of working with individuals to help them build their confidence on Zoom as well so that they can lead sessions around their collections around art around objects and actually engage with their different audiences virtually as well as they can physically So that's something that I'm quite passionate about as well, that you can do this just as well online as you can in person. You just have to bear in mind that it's not the same experience that you're trying to recreate. It's a slightly different virtual experience. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I've been working on innovation with a number of museums as well, which has been a truly wonderful experience from, from my point of view and seeing how they are being really creative about pivoting their revenue model, you know, working with people, staying connected with their communities and so on. Uh, They're doing a really, really great job. So a a big shout out to anyone listening in from museums and art galleries and similar organisations that you do an incredible job and not quite often staffed by volunteers, you know, a, a large volunteer population of people running and supporting these organisations which is incredible because 
also we volunteer because we care about what we're doing and we care about that thing so do you find that you work a lot with volunteers as well on these programs Claire? So it can depend some museums in some countries have paid museum educators and museum guides some work with volunteers Um, it really depends I think wherever you go you can just see the passion people that work in sort of my sector are just incredibly passionate about what they do about their subject about sharing it with other people and it's it's really lovely to see I think sometimes with volunteers you know the whole model in American museums is based on volunteers and they're quite often people who are giving up their time for free and a huge amount of time they have undergo a lot of training and they get a lot out of it themselves but they're giving so much back as well so um, yeah it's lovely to see. And what tips would you have more generally then for virtual facilitators for people who have been maybe doing most of their stuff in person have switched to doing things online and I think actually people thought it was going to go online for a short period And what I'm finding is sort of a second wave of people who are saying, actually, I have been virtually facilitating. I have learned how to do the fundamentals. But now this virtual facilitation world is here to stay. I need to take it to the next level. So what have you found the same? And also what tips would you give people who are looking to level up their virtual facilitation skills? I definitely posted something on social media the other day, which was like, you know, if you'd ever doubted how long virtual meetings and virtual facilitation was going to be around for, you know, now you need to start thinking about how confident you are about your skills. It's It's been nine months for a lot of us. How far do you think you've improved? Did you think that we'd be all be back doing in-person stuff by now? And it's very clear that that's not going to be the case for quite some time. And actually, some things may stay virtual. Some things may be better doing it online. So, yes, I'm, I'm quite keen to sort of help the members in my membership as well become as confident as they can online, because you can really set yourself apart if, if you can do this well. And I've been on so many Zoom calls, as I think we all have, that have not quite hit the spot. They've been a little bit dull. I've had people talking at me, you know, even in programmes that are supposed to be about engagement, there have been people reading notes or lecturing. And I think you need to, my top tip would be to engage people right away. Make sure you do that within the first five to 10 minutes or people do start to tune out. So, you know, whether that's asking questions throughout, whether that's using the full features of Zoom or whatever technology you're using, whether that's using breakout rooms, just to change it up, you really need to sort of have a variety of different activities and different structures within your virtual session so that you keep people tuned in. And if you can do that, you know, you get the group working together, get them discussing things, completing activities, online teaching can be just as engaging as in person and sometimes can be better you know we can zoom in on artworks which we can't do in real life so yeah you need to design for interaction connection and engagement definitely I fully support that and I think also uh, resist the temptation to go from virtual session to virtual session pretty much one after the other you know it's important to take some time out and remember that it's not about pressing the right button at the right time it's actually about the experience and the purpose of the session and creating that connectivity and I think so many people worry about the tech 
and what yeah. the tech does, you know, will or won't do. Well, my view is, is practice. The more you practice, the more confident you'll become and the more intuitive the tech becomes. You can leave that to one side then. So practice, you know, in a safe place so that when you're live with delegates, you can really just enjoy being with them. And it doesn't matter if you press the wrong button from time to time or whatever. It's about a human experience as well, isn't it? I love the fact as well, people feel closer to me when I'm virtually facilitating, which I know is a really weird thing to say, but because you, their, their faces are on the screens and you can see them, you know, they're, for me, they're an arm's length away sort of thing. And uh, I sort of feel that energy, which is which I'm really enjoying a lot. So, Claire, if people, which I'm sure they will, having listened to the show, and they want to learn more about visible thinking, hear more about your membership and all the great things that you do, where can they find you? Where's the best place for them to contact you? Well, you can find me on my website, thinkingmuseum.com. I'm around on all the usual social media channels on Instagram or Twitter. That's at Thinking Museum and on Facebook as well, Thinking Museum. I've also got an extensive blog with lots and lots of articles on there, which can sort of introduce you to visible thinking, introduce you to my method, visible thinking in the museum. Uh, there's lots of articles about improving your questioning techniques, facilitation techniques as well. And a lot of what I write about, even though it's for people who work as educators or museum guides or you know creatives who work in museums and heritage, it is applicable to people who work in other fields as well. Mm-hmm. And I quite often in some of my uh, online classes have people from outside of my sector coming to my classes to sort of uh, brush up on their skills, but from a different angle, from a different perspective. So yeah. Yeah, if you're interested in this kind of thing, then I recommend reading a few articles on my blog as well. Yeah, I recommend them too. I mean, my, my field is innovation facilitation. And I think as facilitators, by working cross-sector, cross-expertise sort of way, we can learn so much from each other and, yeah. and really level up what we're doing uh, because we should always be learning you know it's a continuous journey we're never completely there and that's what's wonderful about what we do there's always more to learn and I've learned a lot from you today Claire so thank you so much it's been a brilliant show I've loved our conversation I've loved learning more about visible thinking for you listening I'm going to put all the details of everything that Claire said all the links and so on to Claire's contacts into the show notes so you'll find them there And thank you, Claire, very much for joining me today. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for tuning in to the Idea Time Show, brought to you by Dr. Jo North. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and access more completely free resources at bigbangpartnership.co.uk forward slash resources. We'll see you next time.